you ever heard a strange noise in the middle of the night? Hello? Ever seen something you couldn't quite explain? What's that? Ever been visited by a loved one in a dream? What are you? Psychic mediums Katie Manning and Michelle Lyons-Polito talk about it all. Welcome to the Psychic on the Scene podcast. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to another exciting episode of Psychic on the Scene. And here, as always with me, my wonderful co-host and friend, D. Scott. Hi. And my other wonderful friend and co-host, Michelle Lyons-Polito. Hey there, everyone. My sister from another mister. And we have an exciting guest tonight. Um, I had promised our listeners that we would be mixing in some um, true crime along with our paranormal um, guests. And tonight, um, we are very fortunate to have a new friend on, Jocko Johnson. And welcome, Jocko. Hi, ladies, sir. Thanks for being on, Jocko. Very excited to have you on. So Jocko comes to us by way of another guest who is a fan favorite, Stephen Ward. Great guy. So, Jocko, I'm going to have you do your own intro. I would like you to tell our listeners um, basically like your body of work, like the things that you've done um, to get you to this point. Okay. Well, first of all, I I know Steve from um, the uh, Mac Maloney Military X-Files show, which I guess I'm a contributor. I probably on about once a month, sometimes maybe more, but here and there kind of hit and miss but uh, it's a great show max great guy he's got a great bunch of people up there for you know if you like that kind of stuff it's really good it's about the and i'm sorry say the name the name of the show again is uh mac maloney military x-files okay excellent he's on he's on yeah he's on every platform so it's not hard to find them is that a podcast or is that a a a podcast and it's a radio show i know he's on a, a radio show up in uh massachusetts i think on an mm-hmm. FM station, he does. Uh, it is broadcast up there, I believe. Uh, Seacoast mm-hmm. FM. I'm not sure exactly, but oh, coast to coast. No, called Seacoast FM. S E A, like the water. Oh, gotcha. Um, Wonderful. I can't remember the name. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's all right. No, that's all right. To say that, <laughs> I wasn't prepared about that. We'll find it. That's all right. <laughs> so anyway. go into it, Jocko. Tell us about your work and um your your life your experiences okay well i graduated uh st john's university in new york mm-hmm. uh with a degree in law and uh i punished myself and tortured myself by uh going to catholic school my entire life <laughs> from kindergarten and then when i had a choice even college so uh high school kindergarten throughout I always wanted to be a police officer. I had everybody in my family, a lot of people in my family, police officers. So So you're a long line of of, uh, family of of people that have served. Yeah, probably my grandpa was my gramps. He was uh, the closest one to us. He raised me pretty much. And uh, And was he also in the city? Yes, New York City. He was an inspector. And he retired also. He was also in the job. But I mean, he had... In those days, in the 40s, you know, they went out and did things and they used to say, you know, cops, they shot first, they ask questions later, but right. they were pretty much right about 99.9 and nine tenths of the time. So mm. you used a term, you said he was a specter, an inspector, inspector. Yeah, which oh, is the equivalent yeah. to like a uh, detective. It's, like. it's a, well, he's, uh, I guess in the military would be a colonel. Oh, okay. oh. 
he was a bird colonel like that, uh, charge of units of, you know, and um, <clears throat> so growing up, I've always heard these stories from everybody in my family, cousins, uncles, my grandpa, you know, everybody. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to do it anyway. I felt like I had a calling, you know, because uh, you were an altar boy and you, where I grew up, we were like all Irish, Italian and, you know, <laughs> you were Same uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you were either a priest or you were a cop or a criminal. <laughs> so, you know, I lined up a lot of guys later that I went to school with. And it was just part of the gig, and they know it. And, you know, you get them, you got me, and that was it. But it wasn't easy on some of those things. But, uh, you know, I don't make those choices for them. So uh, after I graduated, I uh, went into the police academy. We were I was part of a 3,000-person class. Wow. Largest because we had we were coming back. This was, I think, the second or third class back after all the layoffs in the 70s. So mm. the city was in horrible shape. Wow. I remember that. You know, under a tidal wave of crime. Yeah. And the cops just weren't there. And, you know, we were just starting to come back. And I remember, you know, my uh, captain called us into the office, me and another rookie. And he said, look, I'm going to do something that I've never done before is totally against what we do. I'm going to put you guys work together because I don't have a choice. Mm. And everybody who starts in the NYPD back then, I guess it's still the same. It seems like it's been that way forever. You did midnight. You started out as uh, you know, you did midnight dates mm -hmm. and that was the times when, you know, it could be crazy. Mm -hmm. We had a fight to stay awake. So, <laughs> you know, we'd, we'd argue who's going to drive because <laughs> try to try to stay awake. And um, it was a pretty busy precinct. Um, I worked down in Sunset Park and we had the largest concentration of youth gangs. And they told us in the country at that time. Wow. John. Really? That's intense. And it was, uh, you know, you talk about MS-13 and all these kind of folks. Uh, they <laughs> were just all over the place. And it got to a point where probably in 83, 82, 83, the chief came down and said, look, we're going to fix this. And I want you guys, and basically he says, I'm taking the handcuffs off. You go out there and do your job. Mm. And we did. And with less than a year later, we cleaned that place up pretty good. Wow. Whoever didn't get deported was arrested, sent to jail. And, you know, the, little by little, the, um, the people became to trust you. They right. would talk to you more because you'd pull up on a scene, somebody would be dead on the street, and nobody's like, hey, no, no, no one's going to talk. Glass, you know, nobody knew anything. Right. And uh, I know I'm glass. It was like, this is not good, you know, because this could be you next time. I know you understand me. You know, you got to help us. Yeah. We can't help you. We, we get here sometimes after. So, you know. Right. And most so of the experiences I had occurred during those times when I was on patrol early in my mm -hmm. career. Uh, some of them are pretty funny. Some of them are scary as hell. Well, the tell it. Tell us the first a scary thing we one. wanted to do was run to the church after we were done <laughs> hanging out the door yeah. at night. You know, it's three in the morning, and uh, boy, I hope they're open. I got to go light a candle or something. You know, that was the so scary. Tell one. us, tell us, yeah, tell us one that one of the fascinating ones, the the scary ones okay. for our listeners. All right. Well, uh, this is part of uh, Greenwood Cemetery in this area. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's yeah, one of the largest cemeteries, I think, in the country. I might, you know, besides like military cemeteries. And they do have military sections where I believe there's Revolutionary War people buried mm -hmm. there. 
Yeah. Uh, veterans from Civil War, many, many famous people. Um, it's a large list and um, it's a huge place. It's, it's just tremendous. I mean, it goes on for avenues. You're on one side of the precinct and then you go all the way over to like the waterfront almost back to the East River and it's still there. You know, so you go right. from like uh, Ocean Parkway, or Ocean Avenue, I mean, Ocean Parkway, Coney Island Avenue, and all the way back over McDonald Avenue, if you're familiar with Brooklyn, mm -hmm. into yeah. this area now. It's like Third Avenue, Fifth Avenue, you know, and they always talk about these things, you know, you hear, and I've heard this only after I retired because I started to listen to some of these stories. I remember I had heard uh, Father Malachi Martin, Martin on the radio, mm -hmm. who was an exorcist. And okay. uh, he had a helper, an assistant, who was also a police sergeant from the NYPD, Ralph Sarchi. And he had a TV show on for a time and he wrote a book and I read the book and it scared the daylights out of me. Hang on a second. Is he yes. the same police officer that worked with the Warrens? I don't know if he did. I wasn't uh, I didn't work with him. He was okay. in the Bronx of Manhattan. There was a police officer that worked with the priest on exorcisms that I believe were connected with the Warren family. So somebody will probably write. Oh, the Warren. I think he said Warrens. Uh, I think so. Maybe. That sounds familiar. I think yeah. he did. Uh, I mean, he's on Facebook now. You can look him up. Sachi, S-A-R-C. If it's the same fella, he was a complete non-believer until he got accidentally like connected with the priest. To do I don't. The, I the don't remember that. I don't know about that. I don't remember that. But I don't know. I listened to Malachi Martin, and mm -hmm. you know, growing up in the church, like I said, I was an altar boy and <laughs> Catholic school through kindergarten through college. And you know, you always wonder, am I going to be a priest? Because that was always a choice. And um, it was a fantastic kind of thing listening to him because. So many of the things he talks about where he would say that, like, there are people that are perfectly possessed, but the, the demon is just, you know, they ask for it, it comes to them, and that's who they are then, you know, and their whole life is completely pushed aside. This demon is the person that controls them. Mm. So hang on I a am, second. And I are you saying, hang on, people. hang on, hang on. So are you saying that these people are requesting to get possessed or is it just in, like they're criminals? Well, that's what he said. You know, that's what he said. Oh. And, um, I agree because we came across some people who were truly evil. I mean, you could look in their eyes or you could just, you know, by dealing with them, you knew they weren't just no. regular folk. No humanity was, left in them. Right. They, you could just, you knew they weren't on drugs and not like this was, that's their problem. They were just some scary, bad people. Predatory. So tell us a story. Tell us a story about okay. encountering one of them. So I was bringing up the cemetery because, you know, people talk about it. And I found this out after about rails, the whole part of the top of that city in Brooklyn on by the cemetery yeah. used to be an old rail terminal. Yeah. It was for trolleys. It was a barn up there for the whole borough. And then they have a train depot, not very far from that, where this train still came in and buses to get cleaned and maintained. You go two three blocks down you're at where the east river and the hudson river come together to the mm -hmm. verrazano narrows into the port of new york mm -hmm. and then you have all these waterways and you have yep. uh you know on top of long island brooklyn is the end of long island so that's a giant island you have long island bay and everything else and 
it as you like know, it was a, from at a, at a huge cemetery, it was perfect, you know. Right, you and, know, and working in the granite, right? <laughs> you know? Oh, the granite, oh, yeah. and stuff in the ground, right? So yeah, anything with waterways granite. and the railways constantly <laughs> build it up. Yeah. But you're right; that's another point, Jocko. That if there's certain like lime uh, quartz and granite in the ground. Um, it it's absolutely amplifies. amplifies it, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, the whole city, there's how many homes that were limestone homes and brownstones, which is, I guess, another type of sand or limestone. Right. And then, you know, they say we can build um, giant skyscrapers because Manhattan's on granite bedrock. Mm. So, you know, it seemed like after I realized, I said, boy, you know, this was like the perfect spot for all of this stuff. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we would patrol around this cemetery by rookie partner and I were both rookies and um, we would see this woman walking around the cemetery like two three in the morning and she would mm. just be walking head down short lady she looked like if you took somebody from another time she was like one of these refugees on a road in like escaping like World War II somewhere in Europe mm, wow. the way she dressed up like a pair of boots a long jacket she had like one of these like babushka kerchief kind of hats you know she always walked with her head down and walked like you know she kind of marched you know and like man this is crazy so we used to ask the older guys there what's with that lady walking around the cemetery in the middle of the night like is she okay what's up with that don't talk to her just ignore it they said don't even look at her why mm -hmm. that's the lady at the cemetery do yourself a favor just don't talk to her okay what do we know we're stupid rookies so right. after a while we just couldn't take it because we see her every night she's in our sector and we would be talking every night oh, we, what are we going to do we're going to ask her we're going to talk so one day we just got the nerve up i told my partner he was driving he said, stop the car stop the car stop the car he gave a little toot on the horn a little siren and she stopped and turned but her head was still down i rolled down the window and she came over and i asked you know bend over a little bit and she looked at us in the car and I said, are you okay? You know, wh what's up? Like, we notice that, you know, you're out every night like this all by yourself. It's not, not a safe thing. She turned and looked at us and my partner's, you know, leaning over to try to look out the window as well to see her and her face. And we both talked about this afterwards. So we had this, you know, it appeared to be black and white. And it was like distortion on a television set in the old days when you had the three channels. Yeah. It just had that like horizontal hold would go up and down and you'd see that snow like up over. Yeah. The oh, I'm covered in chills. Me too. Like a horizontal, you know, snow. Right. You almost couldn't even make out her features. Wow. Talk about, you know, tingling of the spine, your hair stands up. Forget it. We were both <laughs> so frightened at this. You know, I mean, here we are, these two big New York City cops, they're armed, you know, the whole thing, we're in a police car. And I was like, go, go, go. He was trying to push with a pedal. He was so in shock, too, that I reached over with my left leg trying to push his foot into the ground. Oh, wow. <laughs> because she started speaking, too, and like, it was like tongues. Really? I don't oh, know so what she was cool. talking, Russian or some kind of East European language. We had no idea what she was saying. Let's go there. Oh, wow. <laughs> she's still there. Is she she's got to be about 300 that, I mean, years it, old. I don't know. 
Right. And it sounds like she's somebody that's famous, obviously, if other officers knew about her. Um, I wonder if it's one of those things that other people in that area have encountered. Yes. Well, I mean, people had to see if you were out late at night, but that was the one thing. So she didn't come out, you know, in the middle of the day. Was her face the only thing that was staticky, like her clothing and boots that all looked Everything else. And that was the only part of her skin that we could see. Wow. No, everything else was covered. She had like a winter coat on or a raincoat during the warm weather, but it was cold when we talked to her. She had gloves, this hat, you know, kerchief thing. Oh, so always dressed the same. It goes to us, it did. She mentioned, and then I we heard something about her son. It was the only thing we could make out. We were like, go to the church. Let's go. I think they're open. I don't care. Let's try it, you know? Yeah. And boy, oh boy, you know, so we go back to the precinct that night. And, you know, you're saying, do we know about anybody else? No, we didn't ask because we knew if we asked, we would be the, you know, they would never let us live this down. Right. So, you know, these two dopey rookies did something, you know, and they just would call her the lady of the cemetery and nobody would talk wow. to her. Nobody would speak to her. We would smell this um, aroma, this, this, this stuff in the cemetery. And I had asked one of the guys about that one day when I was working with him, because I guess my partner had a day off. I had to go to court or something. I said, what is that smell? It's so nice. I smell it all the time. He said, it's boxwood. So I'm thinking boxwood, like, you know, I'm a city guy. Like boxes, like caskets. He says, "No, it's like a shrub. It's a tree. It's got like a right. flowering shrub or something, you know." Mm-hmm. And it blooms, and it's all in this cemetery because there was like a bridge, and it was like underneath too, so you could, you know, it would come up. I was like, "Man, it's weird, man. It's so nice, though, you know." And it triggered something in my head, which I'll tell you about later. But you know, after that, we never said a word about it. We never discussed it amongst ourselves. Oh. I don't even know why I brought it up one day on, on the show and then Steve wanted me on to do it. And then I guess he had told you guys. And so, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I had probably told my wife, I don't know, let's see, uh, Tuesday, tomorrow, I'm going to be married 35 years. Oh, congratulations. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, they get to be the same. Happy anniversary to you two young kids. <laughs> it's all the same. You know, you just take one after the other. Now. <laughs> Not special, I guess. But anyway, um, I never even told her about it till like after we were married a long time. Jeez. I don't even know how it came up. We were probably out camping with the kids or something. And I, they cool were stories story, around the camp. You know? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. I used to go hiking and camping a lot when I was growing up upstate New York, all throughout the Adirondacks. Up yeah. By Tuxedo, New York, and everything. Actually, we yeah. camped on a railway bed one time. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. A friend of ours' property. Me and two other guys, and I guess we were probably around 18. We had one pistol, which we legally owned, and we took it for protection. I guess we were maybe older than that then. It was for, you know, you could carry it for shooting and, you know, target shooting. And this guy had an area up there where we were going to go. We all had hunting knives. And, you know, we were in this tent asleep, and we just heard noises. It wasn't a bear. It wasn't an animal. Somebody was like going through everything out there. Mm. And the three of us were like the three stooges. So scared. <laughs> we didn't even want to open the zipper and look and say, we just like hit our heads and like, Oh boy, I don't <laughs> want to know. What are we doing out here in the middle of the night like this? You know? And, and I started thinking about, you know, Inkabot crane and, you know, uh, sleepy <laughs> hollow and 
all of these things, you know, growing up in New York City, and you know, you know about all this stuff. Right, all right. The, all the super strange stuff that goes on around Albany and you know the it's other so areas. It's so funny because that is definitely Ichabod Crane, Sleepy Hollow. Like now, it's more nationally known. But when I grew up, my mom is from Red Hook, New York. Okay. So yeah, I, I work narcotics there. I know that well. Oh, so my mother. <laughs> would always tell the stories of Ichabod Crane and Sleepy Hollow and, you know, all this stuff. So I can the remember being horseman. a kid, the headless horseman. I can remember being terrified of that, getting lost when I was an adult driving. And I look up and I'm on Sleepy Hollow Road. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, I'm out in the middle of cornfields. Right. I'm going to return. Yeah, you know, I'm never coming home. So nobody will I'll just be a statistic. Right. So, you know, we had asked the guy after, what was, you know, we heard that he goes, God, it's just animals around us. Now, this was no animal because we used to hunt. We used to go Pennsylvania and do things, fish hunt. We knew all about this. And it was just, that was very, I didn't, that wasn't even on my list, but was that, was, well, I love it. That up, was, was everything messed up or did it look like it was untouched? You know, I can't remember. I think we just kind of like try to forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was, big. I mean, we really had nothing out there. You know, it was just a small campfire and it wasn't, it was in the summer. So it wasn't that we needed it for heat. We had it for, you know, more like just keep animals away, kept it burning through the night. And, you know, right, we put right. wood on it, we cooked and left it because it's right in front of our tent. So we knew it was okay, you know. Oh my gosh. More stories, Jocko. So, Jocko, um, <laughs> did you ever encounter any famous convicts, like people later on that come to find out that either in spirit or, um, you know, like maybe it was like a serial killer or something like that, that, you know, you... Um, encountered in your work? No, you know, my house just shook. Oh, no. and we had an, a slight earthquake today, not far from where I live. And oh, we're, on a, we're on a very uh, huge fault in the southeast here, part okay. of the Madra fault that goes through the Middle East, the mid, mid of the country, Midwest. Oh. And uh, I don't know if that was like somebody slammed a door somewhere or what that was, but well, that's thinking, it was kind of weird at that point in time when you asked me. Yeah. That exact moment. Uh, no, I don't know of any. If I did, um, mm -hmm. I don't know of any way you said, "Yeah, hey, I knew that guy later on." You know, he was a criminal or whatever. No, right, right. No other spirits. You know, I never saw anything that I thought said that's a ghost or it's a spirit. You know. Did you personally? You kind of said before we went on air, but have you personally, while you were working? I mean, you guys were kind of drawn to the, you know, the lady in the in the cemetery. But did you ever have any psychic um, pulls to things, whether you're working in investigation? Always, always. Yeah, always. I always, I mean, they used to call me Spider-Man because <laughs> I would always, and I remember one of my training officers would say, you have a, like an instinct uh, just to do this well, this job, you know, like you were born for it, he would tell us, you know, yeah. and I, he was one of the greatest training officers or police officers i ever knew this guy he died in line of duty and mm -hmm. he was a fantastic guy and uh, my grandpa had known him my cousin had known him and um it was the only way he was a marine and he was jima oh wow old. you know he, he he lied to get into the war they retired and he sued the department threatened <laughs> wanted to come back because he was leaving one way and that was it and he knew it and um he would call me you know, he would say that. And then later on, my partner and I, who I was in the academy with, became very friendly with, and, you know, we families and everything were friends. 
I was like godchild, one of his kids. When he moved, he retired, he moved here with us, myself. He was on this cold case squad with us down here. And uh, he actually left me as executive to his estate because he said, you know, he says, uh, my two kids, he was divorced, his wife had remarried. He says, my kids, you know, I want to be cremated. He said, I could just see it. They'll put me in a cake box. They'll throw (laughs) me in the back of the trunk. They'll get a flat one day and say, let's go change this flat. And they'll look in the trunk. Oh, wow, it's dad. You know, all over the place. I want you to I'm like, okay, I will. We don't know I really believe that people that have high empathy and high psychic ability, Michelle and I have talked about this countless mm-hmm. times, wind up working in law enforcement or they're drawn to it. Sometimes they use their empathy if they go into the healthcare field or right. even teaching, but many, many of them go into law enforcement. And even the detectives I've worked with where I've said, you know, everybody has psychic ability. They will like share almost like confessional Jocko. <laughs> like we'll be out in the woods and they'll go, well, you know, there was that time exactly. I was over there and I had that feeling. So, well, uh, you, you know, you that's what I was then- start- yeah, that's what I was starting to say, because the, the criminals, the guys that, you know, we would be going at, they used to call us the iron hunters because I could look and say, that guy's got a gun. Hmm. And I had no idea, but I just, I, it just came to me and we would approach oh. him, you know, frisk him and, you know, have a reason, probable cause. And, and he'd have a gun. Sure enough, more times than not. I mean, money more times than not. We, I mean, I remember the first day we went on anti-crime patrol when we were put in plain clothes anti-crime. We went out and an hour later, we came back with a gun collar and it turned out the guy had a, a sentence in abstention where he had just skipped his bail on his bond mm-hmm. or whatever. And he was convicted in abstention of, of, of homicide. And they were looking for him for like 20 years. And the reason we know, because when we took him to court, we had an arraignment. We came back, we were going to the grand jury. And we get a phone call from the DA and he says, uh, we got a problem. I says, we do, because I'm great. I have no problems. <laughs> well, you know, so-and-so, yeah, we let him out. Really? And uh, turns out he's got this warrant. You know, we didn't notice at the time because they had to wait for the fingerprints to come back. Mm-hmm. And not like today where, you know, they're instant. instant. They, were, you know, they used to put them on a card with ink, you know. That's how we yeah. Right, right. And everybody got a copy, the state, the feds, the city. You had it all float around till it finally came back. And uh, we had to go out and find this guy. And he knew we were after him and he surrendered because we would just go in and I don't want to say bothering, but investigating every single person he ever knew, mm. relatives, where they called him and they said, look, if you don't give up, we're going to tell him you are because we can't take this no more. Because every time we turn around, these two guys are there. You know, it was like we're 48 hours, we didn't rest. And we just worked, you know, to go after. So in what other ways have, have your spidey senses helped you with cases? Just like, you know, where you're driving or you're going somewhere or you approach somebody and you no, it's not the right thing that you want to, you shouldn't do it, what you should do. And mm. you do something different and you wind up saying, if I did that, I'd be dead. Mm. You know, different things like that. Where you're led, you're like led. When yeah, you're having you that an idea, habit, it just pops in your head. And you know, so that's what I was just going to ask you. When you have that, are you getting a thought? Are you seeing a picture? Are you hearing it? in your head or are you literally feeling it on your physical body? Like something with this just doesn't feel right. It's just an idea. And I used to say to everybody, you know, I, the way I describe it, I was telling Steve about this and a couple of the other guys, 
Um, it's like the old Sesame Street show where, you know, they used to show you like the potato, the carrot and the steak. Yeah. One of these <laughs> things don't belong. <laughs> yes. You know? So it was always that steak would boom. It would hit you, just an idea. And you'd say something's up here. This is not right. You know, and it was weird. I mean, I think cops have that inherent ability. I definitely think you do. I Some definitely of it is experience. Some of it, you know, and it's just you know, like I have a big difference because when I came further south here to live, when I retired, uh, the police here don't see as much. Really? I don't think they're, you know, I don't think they're bad cops. I don't think they don't know. It's just that they don't deal with as much volume. Right. Big city well, cops deal with this volume constantly. Mm-hmm. It's constant, it, you know. It's and, a different kind. Don't you think like if they're in Miami, if they're down south there, pardon me when I do that. Um, <laughs> if they're down south in that area, there was a lot of them that were connected to um, like the, the wave of drugs in the 80s, the drug cartels, different kind of an energy than what we have dealt with in the New York area. Which well, seems to be probably well, it's probably a mixed bag of Yeah, really, because we, we were part of that whole war on crack and their cocaine wars in the eighties, and that's where it started. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. I used to live in a fairly decent neighborhood and I would come out uh in the morning, get jump in a car or whatever, and I'd find crack miles on my sidewalk. Oh my gosh. I mean, where does this come from? You know, like what is this? Yeah. And you know, it, it was everywhere and people be you know, these crack affected you in a way where once you had it, it affected a part of your brain that told you you were hungry. So oh every God. time you got the need to eat to live, the same part of your brain that told you to live to eat, that it was time to eat something, would be the part that crack cocaine affected the way it was melted, you know, and concentrated down and how they made it, you know, basically free basing and smoking these uh, little crack stones, you know. And so once you got it, it was so great. You couldn't stop. So these guys, you know, they steal anything and everything. And that's why oh, crime wow. got so bad. You know, it was just incredible because they couldn't help it. Right. And, and, and that's like, I think that like that kind of crime is what would happen down the different. You're right. Different kind of energy in that in, from the cities. Well, it's not um, as many people. You know, like we would right, answer 30, 20, 30, 40 jobs a night you know, or a tour. And most cops maybe answer five, six, ten. Most of them, they initiate themselves because they would pull somebody over, or mm-hmm. see something, which is great. But when we were on regular patrol, you know, we pick up the radio and I was in this task force unit. And what we did was we supplemented the regular precincts and mm-hmm. we worked in the worst areas and we would cover them when they uh, changed tours. So it wasn't like, you know, the bad guys would sit around like in the movies and say, oh, the cops come around here every 20 minutes. And then we got five minutes to rob the bank, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> we would be there and, you know, they would teach us how to patrol in ways where we were not predictable. Mm. They would call it omnipresence. So, <laughs> you know, when you see a cop and he goes through a red light and you think it's for no reason, there's a reason for that because he doesn't want to get caught up in a routine. Mm. And so. You know, we would be answering those calls and you would get the dispatcher would say, hey, uh, you know, unit available. We're holding 20 jobs. And these were jobs that were like, not like, you know, uh, somebody's car was stolen because they would just tell that guy, come to the priest and fill out a form. These were jobs in progress, robbery, burglaries, wow, rapes, assaults, you know, whatever. 
and we'd be flying there. Sometimes we'd pick up two, three jobs. We'd say, we'll get that one. We could picture the map, but we'll hit this one and go to that one or the next one. Man. It it was just crazy. You said earlier that you had uh, many times where you were talking to somebody and it looked like they had um, basically invoked something. They were dead. It was like looking into the eyes of a shark. It was nothing there. Oh, shark eyes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like their soul was gone. So tell us a story, if you can, that has to do whatever story actually you want, but that had to do with one of these people that were not like basically human. human. You know, there's so many of them. I mean, most of them we just locked up once you caught them. They were under arrest. It's kind of like they just knew it and they just went along with the whole game. You know, they went along with it. Uh, it wasn't like they would go. I mean, they would go crazy sometimes, these guys. Mm-hmm. And you would be like, man, I mean, you know, places where at, uh, at the time they were testing different things to um, uh, subdue people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they came up with these nets and glue guns and <laughs> sticks where you poke a guy like a you at the end and pin them. And, you know, it's crazy thing. And one of them was a taser. First mm-hmm. uses of it. So emergency service guys would get them. And they would say, you know, when people need help, they call the police. When the police needed help, we called emergency service because they would come with their trucks and they had everything in there from soup to nuts. And uh, they whip out this. It was a hostage situation. And we had got the guy to come out into his backyard. And you could tell this guy, he was drinking, but he was one of these guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, they shot him with the taser like three feet away. And the wires come out. He had no shirt on. And they, you know, they just they go right into him, the little pins. And he just looks down and says, what the F is this? And just rips him out, throws him mm. away like it had no effect. That's terrifying. Wow. He was one of those kind of guys. So stuff like that. Or they would just fight where they had strength, like incredible. It would take four or five guys to subdue them. To bring them down. Jeez. So superhuman strength. And with these demonic people right and people would say well that's uh pcp that's the crack they mix it that gives them this craziness you know i don't know about all that (laughs) maybe but maybe not so share with us some uh some more stories we love the stories jaco okay here's a good one uh (laughs) we have a uh we get a call one night and again i'm on midnight middle of the night it's like three in the morning. It seemed to be the time that stuff happened. I don't know why, but it was like right in that middle period at two, three, four o'clock in the morning before everybody started waking up and going to work. You know, the streets mm-hmm. were still deserted. So we get a call that uh, there's uh, smoke in the house. There's a house. Okay. Somebody smells smoke. Okay. So in the NYPD, we responded to every call, whether it was called for a fire department, EMS, transit police. Housing police, we always respond then regardless, no matter what. Now, again, you know, those other departments emerged with us. So, mm-hmm. but we would go and say, okay, you guys take care. We'd have to fill out paperwork. You know, we always had to decide what was going to happen. I mean, you know, besides like having a sleep, you know, guard a dead body, which that happened all the time, especially mm. when you were a rookie, they, you couldn't leave a body unattended until the medical examiner came. Right. And they were so busy, it could be like eight hours where another guy oh. had to take over for you. Holy you know, moly. Staring at this sport guy, you know. Oh, God. Oh, wow. That has to be the worst. 
It's, and then it's your eyes creepy. Tricks you start you. thinking, you're saying things, and you know. <laughs> that to me would be the creep. Like here, I deal with you know ghosts and and Michelle and I with demons and things like that. I think sitting with um, not a family member that's a little bit different. By right. then, I feel like it's almost like sacred, but just a random death yeah. that you come and the rookie on. always got it. Oh, you know, oh so my god! That was part of your, you know, your, your, your training, I guess, your upbringing. You know, you're being part of the guys now. Um, I remember the first one I had was a poor guy died in the YMCA, and this room had to be like eight by ten. Oh no! Is a bed, a chair, a table, a sink, and he had a community bathroom. Well, he was just sitting in his, laying in his bed. He died in his sleep, supposedly. And I had to sit like you know a foot from this poor fellow, this old gentleman, and oh. you know it was just. I used to carry a, a paperback with me all the time and hopefully it was something not too spooky. You know, I didn't like to read those kind of things. Right. Right. Oh, but I'll tell you the story about the smoke in the house. So it's a small, it's a home that's um, it's a three or four story walk up. Um, they're all connected. It's a row house. It's on a side mm-hmm. street off one of the avenues, very close to the water, about two blocks from, you know, uh, the waterfront. Where all the factory industry city, I think, is what they used to call it. Then it was where they built weapons for first, second world Korea, and then they all have all kinds of uh, factories and warehouses down there now. But um, we knock at the door, and uh, this Hispanic woman comes out. She's pretty old. She's like you know seven, maybe seventy or so. She's really you know what? She's the cop. She's thinking you know what's going on, and so like it's okay, you know, relax, hold on, you know we got a call that, you know, you have a problem. There's something burning or something. You have a, we'll get the fire department down there right away. She's like, no, I don't know. I was sleeping. You know, I'm the landlady. I live on the first floor. She, Maybe upstairs. Would you like us to check the house? She's like, no, I just woke up. I'm fine. So we'll walk around. We'll check. So we go inside. We check, make sure she feels okay about it. And we say, okay, let's go upstairs. And she goes, well, my son lives on the third floor and we have tenants on the second floor, but they're nice people. We never have problems. A single mom. She has a daughter who's older. And a couple kids, you know, her, her siblings, the older girl siblings are all mom and three kids. And okay, so as we're walking up the steps, we hear this whining noise and we don't know what it is. I'm like, what is that? You know, and she goes, yeah, I hear that. I don't know what that is. So we start banging, knocking on the door, you know, police open up and uh, ladies, well, I have a key, you know, and they were sleeping. Now she's trying to open the door. They, they came out because they had chains and stuff on the inside, you know, it's New York. And you have like, you know, a hundred locks on your door. <laughs> right. So they're opening the door and um, we walk in and we had our flashlights on, you know, because we walk up the steps, it's dark and we could see this fog, like smoke, you know, with the lights from the flashlight, the beam. And I'm like, what is that noise? You know, what's, what's going on? We could smell it. It's like an electrical fire. It smells like, like why is something, oh man, it's bad. It's going to be in the walls, you know, something's burning here. So I asked anybody do work or anything, you know, and our son came down. He's like, no, no, now, they're all sleeping, you know. So the girl comes out, the older daughter, and, you know, the mother said, did you go to the bathroom or leave something on? Or No, no, mom said, I've been asleep. I, you know, I got to go to work in the morning, you know, get up, take my shower and go to work. So I said, well, let's go. You know, we look from room to room and we could see it's kind of coming out of the bathroom more, more than anywhere else. And we open the door, we walk in. And there we see on the sink with a cabinet, like kind of a, you know, like a the sink has got like a basin and, you know, a little cabinet, part of a counter, like 
and they got a mirror and they probably do their hair. They have a basket with all this hair stuff in it, mm-hmm. you know, hair spray, whatever. Thinking, oh man, this thing will go right. This is going to really pop and blow up. And next to the on the counter is this hair dryer, and it's one of the you know blow dryers, like mm-hmm. looks like a pistol, right? <laughs> and its front, the nozzle is red, glowing red. Oh now, God. and it's going. We could hear this whining, but it's getting messed up because the front is plastic and it's melting. So wow. So what happens is, you know, inside that is like a toaster. They have like a piece of yeah. like cardboard or something like asbestos, probably something around it is a wire, like you see in your toaster. And the power goes in on that. The wire heats up and the air blows it out, right? Mm-hmm. Fan. So my point is like, oh, man, throw that. In the, we got to dump it in the toilet or something. You know, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Hurry up. So I go to look and I'm like, where's it plugged in? And they're like, well, the plug's at the wall, but a switch. I turn on the light switch and I see the two plugs on the wall. Well, the dryer is not plugged in. Oh my God. No. The dryer, the, the plug is on the sink. No. And this man. thing is running now. Oh my God. And I'm like, elbowing my phone. Hey, pal. <laughs> Take a look at this. And he's like, what? And so we used to have in the winters, again, it was in the wintertime, we had like these thick leather gray i don't know if you ever seen new york cops we had these gray leather gloves and they had wool linings i don't know how we barely could shoot with them but you know we so we weren't afraid about getting burnt so we picked it up by the end and he dumped it in the toilet you know to put it on it went you know it just melted bubble in the water you know like what smoked in all over the place so the white the mother's like did you come in here to do your hair i said mom i came home from work we ate i watched tv went to bed with you guys you know but I mean, I'm like, okay, look, folks, everything's okay. You know, I don't know. Is this thing got batteries in it or something? And we're looking like, no, I mean, there was nothing mm. that ran like that. We think that today. But this thing was running, and the plug that came out of the back of it was not plugged in. We've, I've actually had <laughs> homes where something like that happens. I have another question, though. Who called you guys? Okay, that's where it gets good. So we oh, all say I can't goodnight. stand it. Good night. We tell everybody, don't worry. You have any problems? You call us anytime. You know, we're here to help. This is what we do. And uh, no, nope, not a problem. You're not bothering us. Go back outside. Get on the radio. Get back at this position. You know, it's uh, unnecessary. You know, was we don't know what to say really. Because we're not telling anybody this either. <laughs> so right. we go down the block and we get on a payphone and we all had the number for our dispatcher. And we called them and we said, hey, Central, you know, we knew the people they were by their voice usually, you know, hey, so and so, whoever this woman, um, one of the girls up there, could you, they're in headquarters now in Manhattan. Can you, because we had before anybody like a caller ID system where they could tell where it came from. They couldn't tell you a name sometimes. Sometimes they could if it was listed, but they could go and check further back mm. if we had to. She looks at it and she says, I'm reading the computer here, but it doesn't have a name or mm. a number. No. I said, what? She says, that can't be. So she calls the supervisor over and he's a sergeant and he's checking it. And he's like, how'd you get a call from nowhere? And she's like, yes, mm. tape. And they play it. And it's a woman saying, oh, it's a man rather saying, uh, they're smoking this house and you better send somebody. Wow. 
And they hang up. And she's like, sir, you know, you want to leave your name? They're gone already. No way, no how. They have no idea where it came from. If it was a pay phone, a private phone, how the call came in. I mean, it came. We heard it. You got a good ghost. It was on the computer. <laughs> wow. Okay, yes. Obviously you. a ghost. From no the problem. Property. We said, you know, it was a little something going on, but it's okay. Nothing, you know, sharing wow. a wire or something. Everything's fine. And then she's like, you know, do we need the fire department? I was like, no, no, it's okay. It's all good. I've seen. Weird I was not telling the fireman this story. <laughs> no you probably had, had a, had a very healthy relationship yeah. that was very, you know, <laughs> sometimes bang heads, and we were not going to tell them that because mm-hmm. if we weren't going to tell our own guys, we certainly weren't going to tell the fire department. <laughs> I think. So, what were you a, saying? I, I've had that experience where there is a negative entity in the house doing things with mm. electronics, and then there's the like the house ghosts or the house spirits who try to counteract it can be kind of like a battle between good and evil energetically within the house that the people don't even know about sometimes because we've had um there was a telephone once that would ring and it was not plugged in oh yeah yeah i've heard a lot of stories like that yeah Yeah, i have i had one like that too and it was terrifying it was actually (laughs) taken the phone was taken into um police evidence um, it was in kind of connected to a murder. And in the middle of the night, after I had been there, the phone started ringing. And the next day, the person that lived in the house actually called the phone company and said, I'm not understanding this. We don't have a receiver. And they said, well, it shouldn't make any sense because that number has been basically disconnected and given to another customer. Wow. So it shouldn't be ringing at the house on the landline anyways. Jeez, I got chills. Yeah, but I heard <laughs> stories where people even have messages left on their answer machines, right? Oh, yes. My uncle, after he passed, left a message for on my mother's wow. answering machine. Really cool. I wish I would know what happens. <laughs> what happens after we die? Do you guys know? Oh, yeah. We do know. With a lot yeah. of people. So where do we go? Is there a heaven? I'm waiting. because There a, is a heaven. I'm waiting Absolutely. to go. Absolutely. <laughs> so it doesn't matter um, the circumstance in which you die or the kind of life you've lived, Jocko. So that's like one of the first things, even being mm-hmm. Catholic. I'm Irish Catholic. Michelle is Catholic. Yep. Irish Catholic. Yes, and sir. Um, the, the idea growing up was if something bad happened or if you did something to harm yourself, you'd go to purgatory. Right. Well, as soon as I've been like this since I was three, Michelle, as a little girl, when we see this, your heaven is what you choose it to Mm be. So if you decide your heaven is going to be, you know, 1984 um, (laughs) on a farm, if that's where it's going to show up to a psychic now in 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, or if your family dreams of you, um, you know, sees you, it'll look like a photo from 1984 when they see you go through the house. So we pick, but we're not logged down to one spot. We can be in five different places at once. So if we have family that lives in California or in Virginia, oh, he's holding up a picture. That's May 1984, actually. Oh, my God. Oh, is it really? That's about 1985. Look at you, you sexy beast. I love the mustache. That's that's not a. I still have it, but it's kind of gray and thin now. But uh, and I'm wearing 25 layers of Kevlar there too. So. Oh wow. That's not. Wow. It's not a. You know. But it's under your shirt. One of my shirts. That's what I. 1984. That was it. That was an. That was about. No, that was about. Yeah. That was a fantastic. About 85. 84. 85. That was. But yeah. So that's what our heaven is. So we never. We never die. Our souls just evolve and they're not sick. They're not um, unhappy. I've had clients will say, are they sad? 
Are they mad at me? (laughs) Are they mad at me? They're not like that. It's not the same kind of energy that we have here with those kind of, I guess, earthly emotions. They're not like that. They want you to live your best life and they want you to, you know, be happy and be okay over on the other side. So that's really kind of like in a nutshell, all about what you get over in heaven. And they make sure that they drop in, um, whether it's your... You're getting yes. it in dream or or like a visit in the car, driving along with you. They make sure. I was going to say, as an Italian, you know, growing up, we always had this thing where they say, before you die, your loved ones are going to come see you. Yes. So yes. if you saw somebody in your house or in a dream, someone who had passed before, they're like, you know, and it's happened when my mom told me this, mm-hmm. my grandmother, my grandpa, my uncle, people had told me, yeah, I saw someone's had a dream, you know. And not long after they passed away. So, that that now, is true. What you happens know? with my husband's um, family, the one side is Italian. And it's really interesting. His father loved my father-in-law, Angela. When he was sick, I started to see when I was either like zoning out or even waking up or falling asleep, I kept seeing this house and this table was set for Sunday dinner. And I could if I could have drawn, I could have drawn it beautifully. And I finally told, I was telling my husband, he's like, I don't, I don't know what that is. I finally told my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and they said, oh my God, that was his house growing up. And I kept mm. seeing uh, a table and I could see his mother, his father, um, his older brother. And I, there was a ta- there was another uh, setting set at the table. At the time, I didn't understand what it meant. But what that was is my father-in-law, he was very ill, was getting ready to pass. The next time I saw them, my father-in-law was at Sunday dinner and I could, I, I mean, down to the tea, down to the bread, everything I could describe. And since then they had a big macaroni and gravy. Yep. yep. Macaroni and gravy. Only people from the city say gravy. I understand that. Yeah. But boy, I tell you, now. Every, time, <laughs> every time another one of his siblings was going to cross, I'd see the Sunday dinner table and I'd see another place setting. And so that is their heaven. And that house was torn down uh, in 1965, the year that I was born, when they were building the um, the South Mall. They knocked down the, yep. the service station and the home they had lived in for many years. So that's, I couldn't have known what it looked like, but that house, that's their heaven, is their house and their Sunday dinner. See, see now, I love history. Okay, so I, I, I since I was like in the seventh grade, we had to read Julius Caesar. And I said, you know what? I'm Italian, and we ruled the world for 2,000 years, you know? i got to get into this. This is a great story, you know? And I think America is like continuation of that, really, because there's so many symbols and ideology that we don't even realize. I think, you know, let's look into it. Um, And um, so if that's something that I love, let's say, and I think about it all the time, I read about Mm -hmm. it, is that my heaven? Would I go there? That that would be... no, 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 Jocko, it would be, be part there. of your, it would be part, part of your heaven. It could be, you know, um, like say you loved um, Golf. <laughs> like, like the port or, the, you know, going parts of the city that could also show up as being a part of your heaven. So somebody who's not um, clued in to those like d- didn't grow up in there would be saying, I keep seeing the railroad station, or Mm -hmm. I keep seeing like a wooded area, but then there's like, I can see a platform in the middle of it. That would be a part of that. Like you trying to convey, like, this is a special place to me. And, you know, now it's a part of my everyday. It's part of my happy. So 
Then you it's dream not about it sometimes and you think that's weird. I'm not, I wasn't in it, but I could dream about it. And yep. you can you know? change up your heaven. Your heaven can be different every day and you great. can appear what to family members. Change the channel. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Have it your way. It's like Burger King. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, I mean, I was always taught by the nuns, the priests, the brothers and the whole thing where, you know, in the beginning it was all hell and brimfire. Yeah. And then I guess in the sixties it changed with, you know, the, easing up all the rules or whatever and it was like you know uh if you <laughs> if you do something wrong you know whatever even murder or whatever and you truly beg god to forgive you you know because of jesus coming back and whatever you will be forgiven mm, right if you, if you want true forgiveness you can you always be forgiven so you can go to heaven because you had mentioned purgatory right because then we were taught like, well, we don't know if there is really, you know, there is. It's it's the space between. But you don't get put there. You get it's got to suck there, though, right? <laughs> like, what do you do there? Right. Nothing that, to do. <laughs> that's where ghosts exist. Ghosts exist because oh, we're third okay. dimension. Heaven is fifth dimension. The fourth dimension is like purgatory. It's just the space between. It's It's the gray area. People can get stuck because humans have free will. And right, that's right. I do a lot of clearing work i do a lot of house clearing how do you and, guys do healings oh yeah i'm, I'm a michelle reader. michelle does a lot of the the healing work i don't do that <laughs> i do I need the, some the of that. yay how far away are you <laughs> i can, can send you long distance hand, healing i can do distance healing yeah I'm i'll send you some tonight Jocko. <laughs> um anyway um I guess we get off on a tangent. I don't know how long we have. No, no, I'll that's you, all right. I want to hear. I want to hear another story. Another. Okay, story. I'll tell yes. you a good one. Uh, this is a okay. funny one. I got a funny one. Oh, good. Okay. And then I got another kind of spooky, strange one. But okay, you, know, you do it. Then a personal one if we have time. But anyway, um, uh, my partner and I again were on patrol. We're in this task force. You know where I just showed you that picture. That that probably that car. <laughs> and um, we're on patrol and we're heading back to the station house. It was over and it's two o'clock in the morning. The streets are, you know, residential areas. So it's pretty deserted. You know, if you see somebody out there, they're doing something they're probably not supposed to be doing. Right. So it's our job to figure it out. You know, we used to say, get into a caper. Oh boy, this is a caper. We don't want to get into the problem, you know, and right. we'd always somehow be the last guys back. The sergeant would be sitting there saying, you know, don't tell me you shot somebody at did something, please, because <laughs> I want to go home. You know, it's late. We would always be the last two guys. In. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So we see this car and we're going one way and the cars, you know, we're going like North and he's coming South on this pretty large Avenue. And uh, it's not far from where I live, actually. And um, this is it's an old station wagon. This was like early, mid 80s, early 80s. And there's a station wagon. And, you know, I guess they're a little more prevalent back then. Mm -hmm. And it was one that, you know, had like uh, the town and country, whatever they call them. They had like that wood panel. Oh, my yeah. wife, my wife used to say they forgot to take it out of the box. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we see this guy and he's going through like every single light and we're coming one way we're stopped at the light and we see him go one two three we're like this guy nuts does he not see us he's got to be drunk oh boy this is going to be a caper now we gotta rock this guy up as we get close we come in we make a u-turn pull around behind them the car is packed he can't see out the back window 
I mean, uh, he's got stuff on the dashboard. I think we've all seen cars like this. Like yeah. the guy was living there like a pig in a pigsty. <laughs> so we approach him and we're like, I'm on the driver's side. So I get over there. We used to switch sides uh, to throw him off a little bit and tap the trunk or the back door, grab it. And people think that we do that to leave a fingerprint in case something happens. And that is one reason. But it really started in the late 60s and 70s when all the cops were being killed in New York City. Yeah. When they had the Black Panthers and all of these, you know, groups that were just killing cops for no reason, a wholesale. And they would pop out of a trunk. And there was a, a murder where they killed two cops where they had like machine, you know, military weapons, wow. M1 wow. carbines on automatic. And they opened the trunk and started firing at these cops. So they taught us, check to see if it opens. And get to the side because, you know, you grab these guys. Okay. So they don't kill you. So we try to back door, you know, because we couldn't see in there. And we go over to the guy and I'm like, hey, let me see your license registration and uh, insurance card. Oh, okay. Officer, what's going on? You know, he looks out of it. This guy, older guy, about 60s. I guess to us, then he was old. I was in my 20s. And he says, uh, uh, what did I do? It's like, what did you do? You went to like three red lights. <laughs> We're sitting right here. We can watch it. And my partner's on the other side, you know, we're doing our tactical traffic stop. And he's doing this thing where making these faces with his tongue hanging out, crossing his eyes, doing the thing around his ear like this guy's nuts. And I want to crack up, you know, and I'm like, mm -hmm. he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, no, nothing, nothing. Let me see the papers. I said, look, dude, if you're okay. You're not drunk? No. And, I, and we had a flashlight. They had just given us this thing. They were cracking down on DUIs. It had a little sniffer on it. And it was a light. You'd put it in. But it had a little light on the end where we could tell that if the guy had alcohol out of his breath. So if they stick this flashlight in your face, you know what they're looking for. But it would tell if he had, you know, some sort of alcohol. And we would know without having to stick our head in there and get him out, you know, because you just couldn't pull people out. But we know this guy was acting strange. So it, it didn't have anything. So we don't want him out of the car because I'm thinking we're going to start rolling around with him or something. He's nuts. You know? <laughs> and so he says, well, I'm coming from Pittsburgh and I need to find a job. I said, you drove all the way from Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, like you know, Ohio, out here to look for a job. Yeah. I said, why? Well, they told me to come. Who's they? And I, now my partner's going, woo, you know, you know <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, this is just getting good. Don't make me laugh, you know? <laughs> and he says, yeah, he goes, uh, the, the aliens, they told me. Mm -hmm. I was like, really? Do they pay me where to go find a job and what to do? No, they just told me they'll be in contact. So I said, okay, just stay right where you are. Don't move. You don't have any guns or anything, right? No, I got nothing. Just stay right here. So my partner waits outside. I go in the car, radio in, you know, his license. He's clean. He has nothing on him. So I go back and I give it to him. And I said, look, I just talked to the high command up at the planet zone. Yeah. Like, really? It's like, yeah. So he says, well, how do you know? He says, I get communications. And he takes off his baseball hat and he's got tin foil in it. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm oh. like, okay. So I'm going to show you something. So I have my police hat, you know, the eight-cornered hat. Now, if you know, if you notice, it sticks up on top, right? It's flat. So it's not like the 50 mission hat like the military used to wear. In mm -hmm. World War II. 
there's a wire in there. It's like shaped like a hexagon with mm -hmm. six sides, you know, and it holds the hat straight. Mm -hmm. So he, I said to him, took my hat up because you had to wear your cat when you get out of the car. And I said, uh, look, you see that? He goes, what's that? The antenna. <laughs> you think they're talking to you? They tell us everything. <laughs> the in the car. We got it all set up. We know everything that's going on before you even know it. So here's what you're going to do. We're not going to give you a ticket because we cleared it with the uh, head operations. <laughs> Just they want you to go to a hotel. I'm going to write down an address. Here's a motel. Just go up here, get a room, relax. When they call you, you go for the job. If you have any kind of problems, you feel crazy, weird, they tell you to do something you don't think it's right, call 911 right away. Uh, All right? And he's like, okay, thanks, man. Thanks a lot. <laughs> there are any jobs, right? It's like, I, I have no idea. I said, you got you to gotta do what they tell you. I don't, you know, whatever they... Got to wait for the high commander. Said, just, <laughs> just go to, uh, you know, go to the uh, unemployment office. You know, that place you can go to look for jobs. Okay, good, good, good. I said, go slow and make sure no matter what they tell you, they want you to stop for the lights. <laughs> you know, because if you don't, you could get hurt and then that's it for you, you know? And so we right. this guy go, but man, we were just, I, I was laughing so hard. I, I thought I was going to pee in my pants. Oh, and wow. My partner is a funny guy and was a funny guy. He was one, I mean, cops are the funniest people I know. And probably because things was, are so serious that when you have a moment to, yes, to let it off, you know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he was hysterical. I mean, he had this big gregarious laugh and deep voice. And we're both like, you know, six, two, six, three, two, 10, two, 20. And we both smoked then. we'd open the door of the car and just like out of smoke, these two gorillas would appear, you know, <laughs> and people would be like, whoa, we're getting out of here. You know, so he, he I was, was just a telling somebody we were at a wedding, my son's wedding. And, um, you know, they, they in the 80s, you're like my hair. It was all shellacked with the mm -hmm. veil and every person at the reception was smoking. I smoked. Everybody smoked. I got home that night with the final net hairspray, took out my veil and tried to take out the pins. And my now ex-husband looked at my veil. Somebody had a cigarette and they must have hugged me. And it went, the cigarette oh, burned straight through the veil. No. I am so lucky. I wasn't like torch head yeah. and everything went up, you know, oh. my God. At the wedding, wow. that would have been, you know, a, yeah. a different thing for, for not, Red. Not very good. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So, Jocko, you promised another scary story or spooky story. Okay. I was on a foot post one day, and uh, this was during the middle of the day on a weekend. They're having a festival on one of the avenues. Mm -hmm. So they wanted these other, you know, they wanted us on the side streets going up and down, just, you know, checking the homes while everybody was at this festival because, you know, people are going to be stealing, breaking in, whatever. And uh, I'm walking down the street, twirling my nightstick, and I was right off like Third Avenue. I could see the L for the Brooklyn Queens Expressway. You know, I'm halfway down the street, around 20 something Street off Fifth Avenue, Fourth Avenue, where they're having a, they had the thing on Fifth Avenue. And uh, I stop. And I'm not supposed to smoke in the street in uniform, but nobody's there. So I'm like, I'm going to have a smoke, you know. So I just take out a cigarette and I go to light it. And the second I light that smoke, and you said that, right? It's funny you said that. A toilet bowl comes flying off the fourth floor of this roof. What? And just like disintegrates into powder 
And I jumped back and I could just see my two footprints, my two size 13s, like, you know, on the sidewalk, clear. And everything else is like this white powder around it, you know, this clay. Wow. And I was like, what the? Someone's trying to kill me. You know, so I pull out my gun and I go running into this building and banging on the door. It turns out it's a it's construction going on in this place. They're renovating it. So I break in, I get on the radio. I asked for a radio car to come down with a couple other guys so we could search these buildings. It's like, you know, they're all connected. And um, I get upstairs. The only way this could have been is it had to come off the roof. Oh. Nobody's up there. So hmm. I go down to the second floor. I don't know if you ever put up like plasterboard or a spackle, you know, and then you have to sand it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can put the, you know, they put the joint compound and the mm-hmm. paper tape and the screws and nails and everything, the middle of it. Well, if you ever see it, it is stuff everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, the entire floor was like covered in like powder. Nobody was up there and nobody walked up there because my footprints walking in were the only ones there. Oh my God. How this thing got out the window or off the roof, because you would walk through this building, you track it, and the roof was black. So, so there'd be so white footprints. Well, no. And these other guys came, and I was like, look at this. You know what I'm telling them? And they're like, looking at each other. And, oh, man, this is weird. And I was like, yeah, one of the old times is like, uh, we used to call him the wing, this guy. He was uh, in the Air Force, so we used to call him the wing commander, short for wing. I don't even know. He could have been a garbage man in the Air Force. I don't even know. <laughs> but we used to call him the wing commander, old timer. And he says, don't say nothing to nobody, kid. Like me? I'm the dumbest guy here. I don't know nothing. <laughs> and we just like, nobody in there. Nobody broke in. Nothing was stolen. Like, we don't know. Crazy. Just a toilet ball destroyed. A brand new toilet ball. That's so strange. And I just, just to have a smoke. Otherwise, I was dead. Oh, wow. my gosh. Oh, the smoke saved you because you stopped. Yeah. Wow. I guess that was one of those times where I said, yeah, but I was smoked. I quit for 36 years now. So, you know. Well, that's good. Jesus but that's Jesus. that's pretty incredible. Um, yes. And I always think of all the buildings over there anyways, all that old compressed energy from, you know, years and years. It's got oh, yeah. a ton oh, of yeah, they're, they're like, you know, I remember the house I used to live in was like, um, extremely old i think it was built around i mean i'll put it this way it had to be before the 1900s i think because uh the gas pipes the house was lit by gas oh, and they wow. ran the electrical lines through the gas pipes yeah oh, wow. so, you know then they put sockets on the end that's i had light when they put electricity awesome. so, so you said you also had a personal story uh my grandpa when he died when he passed away he um you know, I loved him more than anybody. You know, I idolized him. He taught me everything. And, mm. You know, I listened to his story since I was a kid. We went, you know, I used to follow him everywhere. Mm. Uh, so I think I was about 16 when he passed away. He had cancer. He had smoked his whole life. He had throat cancer. Five years later, it came back and he passed away. And, um, uh, you know, he was waiting at the hospital. I went to see him. He was in the hospital for a long time. And somebody had sent him a card from Mother Cabrini. And that's a long story because Francis Cabrini is like my patron saint. Mm-hmm. There's a whole thing with that. But anyway, he couldn't find this card with the little prayer card in it. And so that day, we're looking around on a counter. And I said, look, Gramps, here's, here's a letter from, you know, the 
person that was supposed to send it. I said, did you see this? And he looks. And he had his voice box removed from the surgery, so he couldn't speak. He wouldn't, you know, he could talk like that. He talked low. He looked, he goes, wow. And I looked at him. I gave him the prayer card. He goes, thank you. He kissed it, you know. And I said goodnight to him later on after he ate dinner. I helped him, you know, whatever. And I hugged him, kissed him goodnight. And when I went home, they had called a couple hours later. He had passed away. Mm-hmm. And I began to smell these roses. Mm-hmm. Very strong. When we went to the funeral at the wake and the same undertaker we had, his father's father had buried like everybody in our family from Italy mm-hmm. who came here, you know, like through the generations. And his son, who I went to high school with, is now burying the rest of my family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I smelled this strong roses smell like the flowers. Never smelt it that powerful. You know, plenty of flowers yep. and guys were showing up cops and other guys who were probably not on the side of the law, but you know, they used to work, go after these guys and they respected each other. Mm. Right. And, um, uh, you know, people from like, uh, you know, my grandmother knew a lot of them. I'd ask, who was that? You know, I don't know. <laughs> don't ask, you know, but I remember every time I was going to go take a test at school or I had, a, when I went to the police academy, I had to go through all the stuff to get on the job and I would always smell these roses when I was going to kick in a door when I was in narcotics. And, you know, you have no idea what's on the other side of that. You execute a search warrant and I would smell it in the hallway, these tenements, you know, and it was like, you could smell like, you know, urine and uh, disgust. And I, I would say to the guys, you smell it. And they're like, no. And I don't know when I retired and uh, I had got married, I retired, I had kids and I stopped smelling it. So let me share with you what that is. I'll tell you what, what people tell me if you're right, but it's, okay. It's the blessed mother. Mm-hmm. It, that's usually the blessed mother. And he was your very grand, devoted to her. Your grandfather mm-hmm. made sure that he passed her along to you to guard and protect you. <laughs> it's funny but you say that because I'm sitting there and I got this little thing with paper clips in it. And oh, it. The blessed mother. Yeah, she's the one that brings in the, the smell of roses. And please know with your grandfather that that man always stayed by your side. I don't I know if you it. carried his coin or if you carried his actual badge, but he shows you carrying him the entire time you worked, like a pin of his. And I had his he, thing with Mother Cabrini on it, and I would stick okay. it in my hat and in my wallet, you know. Got it. So you were protected. Right. I yeah, felt like, you know, sure. he knew. And then after when I didn't need that, he stopped coming, like, you know. Well, he's still around you. Well, I mean, I think, but, you know, like when I was going through dangerous times, or it was tough, right. you know, and I was still trying to figure stuff out and everything, you know, he was there for me and, you know, protecting me. Yeah, that's, that is definitely the truth. So he makes sure that he stays close to you. Jocko, this was a fun night. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank and you. Most I had a lot of fun too. Your service, you. not only to, you oh, know, our country, you. but to, uh, you know, the NYPD. And I, I really, really appreciate you sharing your time I, and your story and your life. I'll tell you, it was a pleasure. I would, you know, I've got a lot of injuries from it. I mean, I've got more parts in me that don't belong to me, metal pieces and surgeries that I could lose count. And uh, I would do it all over again. I miss it every day. I miss the guys. I miss helping people. It's a true. You know, I always have a feeling like I've got something else to accomplish. Maybe. I don't know. 
Well, maybe this know. Is part of it is sharing your stories, but you you definitely have have contributed so much in your lifetime, and and I thank you. We thank you very much, and just thank yeah. you for being here. Love to have you thank back you. on again yes. and hear more of your stories. Anytime. I don't know if I have many more. I tell you the truth. I mean, I I have a box of my notebooks, and I need to go through them. My memo books because we all had them, and you know it's a funny thing. My son gave me a book for. Uh, I don't have a book. You had asked me. You thought I had written a yeah, book for some reason. I thought you wrote one. Everybody tells you, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. Because I would tell them all these crazy stories and funny <laughs> stories, too, you know, from the job, just nutty stuff. And I, my son gave me this book. It was called On the Job by a guy by the name of Steve Osborne. And if I could plug it, I had never met the guy. He was on the job maybe a year or so after I started. And um, he wrote my book. Because I'm reading it and it's like, oh, my God, this was my story. You know, I mean, all the craziness and all the stuff that was going on during that period of time. And, you know, well, it was like, if I write the book, forget it. All <laughs> right. So here's it. your whole Jocko. Here's your homework assignment. What we want you to do is to go through those old notebooks and and find some from some jewels that you had even forgotten about yeah. and get to share with us live. OK, yeah, please. Yeah. OK, I will. Thank yeah, you I, so I had a great much. time. I really did. Thank you so much. And thank you for being you on. on. Very, very appreciative. Thank you to all our listeners. And thank you for subscribing and sharing us and liking us and sending us your comments and your suggestions. Wow. Special thank you, as always, to uh, Michelle Lyons Salito wow. um, for being my partner in crime and to <laughs> D. Scott. And thank you thank guys you. for what you do. I know you help a lot of people. And that's great. Aww, thank that's you. what it's all about, just helping each other because we got to help right? Yeah, 100% right. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys.